Recently, a Lloyd's auction for classic motor cars sold, among other things, a Ford Falcon GTHO for over a million dollars. Some may ask why, but nonetheless, that's the big news. But a critical element of that auction was a 1964 Honda S600 convertible coupe roadster. It sold for $18,500. The description described it as the slick convertible was the most fashionable car to be driving in with sizzling acceleration powered by a 606cc four-carburetor engine. My colleague, Paul Morell, actually owned one of these devices, and he joins me on the line now to give us some background and some understanding and some reality about just what the car was like. Paul, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, David. I'm still laughing at that description. I don't think I was very sophisticated or sizzling at the time I owned an S600. We are going back half a century. Yes, thank you for reminding me. Yes, we are. We're going back to, in my case, 1966. The S600 was actually launched in 1964. On a scale or a balance of being the most fashionable car versus being one of idiosyncrasies, where would you place the Honda S600? I would place it well down the list of idiosyncrasies. It was one of those cars that people would point at and laugh the same way as many people pointed and laughed at smart cars. It was so small and so jewel-like that most Australians just didn't understand the principle at all. And this little tiny car, revving its poor little heart out because it was redlined at 9,500 revs, just was completely outside their frame of reference. Because it used a motorbike engine, didn't it? It was essentially a motorbike engine. They were, Honda used, obviously, the technology and the understanding they had from building motorbikes. It wasn't actually a Honda motorbike engine, although a lot of the, a lot of the technicalities of it were... It had nibble roller bearings, it, uh, so it had no oil pressure officially. It ran four little Cahin carburetors, which were always a, a wonderful thing to try and tune. Mm. It was an amazing little little engine. It was all alloy. Back in those days, we'd, you know, we'd buy cars, and the first thing you'd do was strip down the engine and return them to their original specifications, which was called blueprinting at the time. We did the same thing with the Honda and realised that their tolerances were so far beyond anything we'd ever seen that we just quietly shook our heads and put it all back together because they were spot on to the tolerances even after a couple of thousand kilometres. Amazing little car. It was ahead of its time, but perhaps Humphrey would call it a brave decision that perhaps you were an early adopter. You were taking on something. I'm I'm desperately trying to justify your decision here, Paul. (laughs) Yes, I know. I'm still trying to justify my decision almost half a century later. (laughs) Is that the one that had an interesting drivetrain? Yeah, this was chain-driven, once again, from from the motorcycle technology. So what would happen was the chains, they were enclosed in alloy cases, and the chains drove from the axle to the wheels at the back. So like a motorbike, it would drive the rear wheels using a chain, which was fully sealed and never a problem. That was one of the few things about that car that didn't cause me problems. But when you accelerated away, because it was chain-driven, the back would actually rise. In other words, the car would climb up the chains, if you like. So the back would come up like it was being braked. So people behind you thought you were braking. And it was how I won so many traffic light Grand Prix because everyone thought I was braking when I was still accelerating. (laughs) That's delightful, isn't it? Uh, Look, can I say, I loved the look of it because I saw a picture of it. So I never got a perception of how 
how short and little and tiny it was. But I was very young and it was a picture after a while, but I just saw one and I kept going back to that picture because it had a certain distinctive simplicity about it that looked all the right proportions in a picture, but fortunately I didn't see it next to an E.H. Holden. Well, you wouldn't have seen it next to an E.H. Holden. It would have disappeared in the shadow. It was tiny. They were about, oh, no, it was, in fact, 3.3 metres long, which is a tiny car. Look, I actually spent time with the man who worked on, on the development of the car. Originally, it was developed as an S360, so a 360cc car. The idea being, or the, the reason being, that Japan had very stringent rules about engine capacity, so they were building to 360. Those rules were then re- relaxed a little, and they built it as an S500, and actually released an S500 in, in Japan, so a 500cc version. And then they went to 606ccs. God, so much engine capacity. So six. <laughs> 606 cc's, which was the one that finally came to Australia. should say that is 0.6 of a litre. It produced over 100 brake horsepower per litre, um, which sounds spectacular, but it only had, it only had 0.6 of a litre, so ultimately wasn't a fabulous thing. And it was designed and based very much on the Lotus Elan, that whole Colin Chaplin concept of, Chapman concept of lightweight simplicity wherever possible, though I must admit there was very little simplicity in the car, but they designed it and worked on the, the Lotus Elan because Toshiro Honda at the time had owned or did own an Elan and he thought that was the ideal sports car. And when he told his development teams the first time they were going into building a car, I want it built on this sort of line. And that's how they built it. So what they did was they, they literally took a Lotus Elan, pulled it apart and put it all back together. And when they understood the concept of the Lotus Elan, they apparently were there were three or four different teams that then started designing and building cars. And then what happened was they built a little sports car and they'd all critique each other's designs. And this went on and on and on until they finally came up with the S360, ultimately the S500 and then the S600. An amazing way to go about building a new car. Unfortunately, because of that, that's why the car was so complex and far too delicate for Australian conditions. You found that it struggled over the bumps? Uh, it, look, it, it handled very well. It, it, was, it was a great handling little car. Um, it didn't struggle over the bumps, but it revved to 9,500 revs, and I used to, must admit, took mine regularly to 11,000 revs when I was racing it or hill climbing it, being that sort of completely irresponsible and, and no respect for mechanical 18-year-old that I was at the time. It was one of those cars that you needed to be on top of all the time. It was, it was finely tuned. You needed to make sure those four carburetors were in tune. You needed to make sure that the oil was changed regularly. And this was a time when most Australians sort of were driving Holdens or if they had a sports car, it was a bug-eye Sprite, you know. Near enough was always good enough. You changed the oil when you thought about it. And Hondas just didn't cope with that sort of treatment at all. So therefore, they got a reputation for unreliability, not because the cars themselves were badly designed, but because the owners didn't understand the, the complexity of the car. And whilst I'm still rabbiting on, the car sold for 990 pounds, 999 pounds from memory, brand new. And the only reason they set that price was it was a little bit cheaper than the Bug Eye Sprite. It had absolutely nothing to do with what the car cost to develop. So that compounded the problem. You had buyers buying what they thought was a cheap sports car, not understanding that the the technicality of it was so much more than they expected in a thousand pound sports car and therefore didn't look after it, didn't maintain it, didn't treat them with with delicacy, basically. It sounds almost a bit like Jaguars, the later V12s particularly, which are a great engine if you 
did the hard yards in keeping them in good order, keeping them cool. Yeah, I think that's a good, good analogy. These days we're sort of aware of the need with, with high technical engines to treat them with a great deal of care and respect. But back then you got you know some of those English cars and in 1966, 64, Australia was pretty much based on English cars with mm. those slapdash engines and they'd last forever and you just treated them with utter and complete contempt. These days we know better with those sort of engines, but back then it wasn't explained to the buyers. I mean, Honda didn't know how to market cars at that time. They, they had a very small sales and technical operation in Melbourne out at Essendon. It almost caused them serious problems because when they then introduced things like the Honda N360 and N600, those little tiny mini-like cars, the Scamp and the, the N360, oh, yes. people tended to go, oh, no, no, Honda's very unreliable. And, of course, they were air-cooled, so, you know, they, all sorts of suspicions were aroused. And it was only really when they came out with the Coupe 7, the Coupe 9, both of which were air-cooled and very complex and very delicate. And then they finally came up with the, uh, the Honda Civic, which overcame all those preconceptions people had. And the Honda Civic was a huge success. But it took a long time for them to live down that reputation for fragility and and delicacy that the S600 created. And its subsequent car, the S800, which was a little less delicate and didn't have chain drive. So an interesting, brave move. And, and, and Honda used Australia very much as their test market, very much as their, let's see how this works in, an, in the Australian market. It worked so well that they didn't bother to release it in the US. They did, they did sell a couple in the UK. <laughs> now, the movie Malcolm used a little Honda buzz box I think. That was the Honda Z. Yeah, the Honda Z. That's an indication of its quirkiness, wasn't it? That it wasn't mainstream. The Z was a delightful little thing. Hmm. No, it wasn't mainstream. The Z was a, a lovely little design. And again, a bit smart carish in its shape and design. Uh, again, it ran the, the air cool 360 motor. Overseas, you could buy the, the, the ultimate, the supercar 600cc version, but we never got that one. It was reasonably successful for its time. In very small numbers, though. The Honda S600 convertible coupe roadster. There's a lot of buzzwords in there, really, isn't mm. there? Mm. I've never heard it described that way. It was, it was just the Honda Sports when I bought it. You could buy a coupe, which was tiny as well, with a lift back. It. Interesting little car. I didn't, I didn't like the lift back version very much, but the sports car was. It was just a sports car. Mine actually had a detachable hard top. I must admit which used to pool water on the rear shelf, and the first time you break it would then throw it all down the back of your neck. A, a clever design quirk. The GTHO Falcon sold for $1,030,000. Mm. The Honda S600 sold for 18500 Were you surprised at the price? I was actually surprised at the price, not surprised at the Falcon. It was inevitable that they would come back up to that sort of price range. But the S600... They were selling for more money than that a couple of years ago because of Japan's incredible rules about roadworthiness and, and annual roadworthy checks. I mean, most cars are, are trashed after five or six years or sold to other markets. And the S600s, they were a huge collector item in Japan because there were virtually none available there and people were re-importing them at, at quite big money. And I'm sure it was more than $20,000 at the time. Mm. So either the market softened for the S600 Oh, this one wasn't perhaps quite as good as it sounded. <laughs> <laughs> the most remarkable aspect of this little pocket rocket I'm reading here 
is its sophisticated engineering. The power unit is an aluminium four-cylinder with double overhead camshaft, four single-throat carburetors and hemispherical combustion chambers. The 18,500, is that because of its technology or its rarity? It would be more because of its rarity, I think, David. I mean, it's a very appealing little car. As you say, it's quite pretty. It's taken a while for us to sort of fall back in love with Japanese sports cars. If you think about the Datsun Fairlady and the and the Honda S600 and some of the some of the more exotic Japanese things, it's taken us a while to sort of appreciate how good they were or how how advanced they were. And they, and now it's it's coming back up again. I don't know where the S600 will go. As I said, they were worth much bigger money than that a couple of years ago. But yeah, rarity more than anything else. Not many of them survived. It's interesting that Honda brought out the S2000 at Rev to about 9,000 Rev. I mean, it's really incredible technology, but maybe that sort of high-revving engine was great for the hill climb and that, but really now we're still getting very good engines, but it's a balance of comfort as well. We tend to forget that in 1964 and... and a few years after because it ran from 1964 to 1966 I think metallurgy wasn't anywhere near as advanced and I think the the understanding of what what metals and things were doing was nowhere near what it is today um, so it was it was at the cutting edge in many ways of, of car technology and for a cheap and by cheap I mean you know $2,000 in Australian dollars car um, that was a brave <laughs> in the words of Sir Humphrey, a brave thing to do, which ultimately may not have been the right decision. Uh, but it ultimately led to Honda where it is now. The, the notion is not how good is your decision, it's how good you live with your decision. It was. I mean, I think, speaking, speaking if I was promoting it, I would have been talking about the technology, and I don't think Honda have even, even now explained quite how advanced that little car was and how far they, that they took technology at the time i mean they only built I mean, over the three years the s600 i think they built you know, eleven and a half thousand maybe twelve thousand including the coupe which you know, for a first car is, is okay but hardly hardly going to set the world on fire if you're building a car you'd probably not want to go that far out on a limb for your first car in conclusion when you sold it had you felt you had been fashionable Oh no, I was never fashionable, David. Fashionable was never was never in my description. What I'd felt was I'd had an awful lot of fun with it. I rebuilt the engine twice in something like thirty thousand miles, but that was my fault as because I over revved it. It was at that time it was very much a sort of a postscript in automotive history. Paul, lovely to talk to you on that little historic note. Thank you very much for your wisdom and experience. Thank you, David. And we were talking there to Paul Morell and the 1964 Honda S600 convertible coupe roadster, which sold at auction for $18,500.